So yeah, normally when you have the pitcher of the week and the player of the week, it would be your lead story, but we kind of led with baseball yesterday. I want to definitely be fair to all the sports. Now it's time to give you highlights of what got Orion Kirkering and Roberto Pena, both very interesting stories for the team this year. And really kind of not the full reason for the success by any means. You look at guys like Carmine Lane and Drew Brutcher at the top of the order. They have been phenomenal. But Kirkering and, again, a guy that was the closer last year, came up huge with extended outings in the postseason play and even before that. And was, well, the closer coming into this year. It was supposed to go that way, but the coaching staff decided to sort of Keep him around just in case if needed as a starter, guy that could throw, as we saw last year, five innings if needed, and now has shown that he can go even beyond that. Again, the original plan was to have Jack Jasiak throw the first game, Brad Lord throw the second game. If either game was close, requiring the services of your closer or Ryan Kirkering, he would pitch. If neither game required his services, then, oh, guess what? You have a pretty strong Sunday starter. Of course, that's not a plan you want to have moving forward. You don't want to have a guy that could be your closer or could be your starter, but that was just kind of the TBD nature of the beginning of the season, and it actually kind of went perfectly in week two and the other way in week one. If you'll recall, the first game was against UConn, and he was needed and ended up getting burnt for the rest of the series. Joe Sanchez had a rough outing in relief of Jack Jasiak. Did not get either UConn Husky he faced out. And then in comes Kirkering, who went four innings and struck out nine. But the Bulls would lose that game. So it didn't go according to plan. Then, if you recall, the next weekend against Stony Brook, Joe Sanchez came on and did his job two innings. And Kirkering got the save, just throwing nine pitches in one inning. But because he only threw nine pitches, that meant he was going to be able to hang around and pitch that next Tuesday as a starter against FIU. And as you know, most midweek games have big high scores. Nope, not this one. Seven nothing Bulls, Kirkering five and a third innings, nine strikeouts and 70 pitches. Well, while all of that was going on, Mr. Hunter Mink was proving to be a pretty fine closer himself. And again, Hunter Mink actually has gotten some weekly honors, has to be connected to Orion Kirkering in this as a big part of it because with Mink, taking over as reliably as he has in the closer spot, it allowed the Bulls to permanently put Kirkring into the rotation. And that third Sunday was a perfect combination. Kirkring, six innings, 10 strikeouts, and Hunter Mink got his third save. And now Kirkring is your Friday night starter, or is he? We might have Jack Jasiak back in that role on Friday night this past weekend. It went Kirkring, Jasiak, and Brad Lord. They all did great. And remember how the Bulls led the conference in pitching last year, all the key categories? They are lining up to get a similar situation done. But let's relive a lot of highlights from what Kirkring did in his Friday night start. Because of it, he was the American Athletic Conference Pitcher of the Week. That one is swung on and dropped legitimately and will be another strikeout. So Niagara goes down one, two, three, swinging at some stuff well out of the zone. One took another two minutes to be confirmed as a strikeout, but indeed, Kirkring strikes out two. And Kirkring's ahead 0-2, and decidedly ahead in this at bat. Another 0-2 pitch. Kirkring takes something off, swung on a miss, strike three. Strikeout number three for Kirkring. That was a dynamite pitch right there. And yep, there's the slider, and looking again. Nine up, nine down. 
for the Niagara Purple Eagles. One and two, and can't take a swing on that slider. Another strikeout for Kirkring to Giordano, the number six hitter. There's that curveball. Wow. He has been mixing his speeds awesome today. Awesome Lee, I believe, is the right grammar. Totally awesome would have been another way to say it. One and two. Kirkring cruising through after a rough top of the last inning. And he gets a strikeout there and able to check his swing as Giordano. A quick two away here. No one has struck out twice, meaning they've been evenly spread throughout the order. Everyone gets a strikeout. Ward would be next. Now, wouldn't that be something? If Ward strikes out here, the next two guys coming up to start off the sixth inning would both have to not strike out. If you could get nine strikeouts of nine different batters. Just a thought. And there's that all-speed pitch, swinging and missing, striking out the side. He is up to seven Ks. And the Bulls, you'd have to call him ace right now, co-ace with Jack Jasiak maybe, is cruising along. Definitely pitching like an ace regardless. Head to the bottom of the fifth, USF on top, five to one. Beware, it's not a blowout, it's five to one. And Niagara has their scores, been on the ends on some blowouts this year, but these three guys specifically hit the ball all well last time, the next three in the order. Niagara's got to be thinking we got something going, and that could be two. A liner caught out of the air by Ruiz, and boy, what was Moro, I'm sorry, Desjardins thinking over there. He didn't even check back. He didn't think it was possible. His coach over there at first base is looking at him like, man, what were you doing? So another hard hit ball, but caught just off the ground by Ruiz for a 6-3 double play, and so much for the threat for Niagara. Big play there. He calls the first pitch off, takes that slider low. Crowd somewhat grumbling, but not really going to complain the way things are going. Orion Kirkring has only thrown 78 pitches, and we are here with two outs in the seventh inning. Agri helping out by swinging at some first pitches and also missing plenty of them. There's a fastball in the outside corner, swung on a miss. One and two. Crowd anticipating possible K number eight here, and they get it. Marquesa with the strikeout, first of the inning, and sets down the Purple Eagles. We go to stretch, and the Bulls are on top, 5-1. to one. And, man, I retweeted a video put out of just how nasty his curveball was and some of those sliders dropping in at the top of the zone. If you want to check it out, go to my Twitter page, at Derek Sharp. Again, he for the season, 4-1 and one with a 2-0-6 ERA, 51 strikeouts in 35 innings. And in that game, seven innings, he could have gone nine. 81 pitches, 56 for strikes, eight strikeouts, no walks, two hits, and just one run. And that was the thing. The starting pitchers for the Bulls combined to throw 16 innings, did not walk anybody. Pretty much every pitcher that came on in relief, and the Bulls did use more than a handful, walked someone. The starters did not. That is getting it done. Now, we gave you a lot of the Roberto Pena highlights on yesterday's show with his two-run double really kicking things off, made it 3-0 in the Friday night game, and his two-run homer. I did want to feature an at-bat against Niagara on Sunday because really what Jay Retcher said in the buildup, and even though it was not a base hit, it was still productive as part of a big inning for the Bulls. Uh, some of his comments are just kind of tell his entire story, so let's send it over to what happened on Sunday afternoon with Jay Retcher. Pena, after sitting out a couple of those games, you're wondering, all right, what is he going to do to kind of get back into this lineup? But, man, now he's 
right back in there in the three hole. He's one of the more dangerous hitters here. Pena is a guy that has shown his versatility. I mean, we saw it last year too, playing second, playing center. We've seen it this year, second, first, center, left, right. A little bit of everything. That versatility, you heard Coach Mole in the pregame speak about it. That was one of the big, big keys they talked about in the fall. It's a certain level of excitement that Pena brings to the game. You just can't take your eyes off him when he's out there. Here's the one, two. That ball's got on the miss, but it gets by the catcher. Pena heads down to first. He's actually going to reach. Brutcher moves up to third. So it is a strikeout for Roberto Pena. He's not going to be happy about that. However, with that being said, the wherewithal to hustle down the line at first and to reach base. He spent a lot of time on base and was the American Athletic Conference Player of the Week, hitting 506 for 12, scored six times, two home runs, eight RBI, and two doubles. But he also, the on-base percentage was phenomenal. In the 16-7 win against FGCU last Tuesday, he had a homer and a two-run double and was three for four with four runs scored. Friday night against Niagara, after the two-RBI double in the first inning, he would walk the next three times, and he actually scored on a wild infield fly with the bases loaded. The infield fly was in effect. The guy dropped the ball, had nothing to do with the infield fly roll. He just misplayed it, and Pena was sharp enough to break for home. Again, kind of what you just heard there in the Sunday game, but a different example of it. And then Saturday... Started things off with a two-run homer in the first inning. Walked a couple of more times. In his least productive game Sunday, he still had a hit and an RBI and reached base again when he was hit by a pitch. His on-base percentage is second now only to Drew Brutcher, who's getting walked a ton. Drew has nine homers, 27 RBI, and a reputation of being a scary hitter. He's walked 22 times. Has an on-base of 504. Pena is, is 492. Now, Bethune-Cookman comes to town tonight. Should be a pretty competitive game as the Wildcats have gotten off to a good start in their new conference, the Southwestern Athletic Conference. They're in the SWAC. They are 5-1, and 10-13 and 13 overall. They started off their season in a 1-6 hole. They got swept at home against FGCU. Then they actually won their next four games. They played JU. They took on Sacred Heart at an event in DeLand. They beat Stetson 4 to nothing. And oh, by the way, uh, yeah, they went to 12th-ranked LSU competitive in the first game 8-7 to seven before losing 5-1 to one and 15 nothing. Then they played a top-10 team FSU and lost 17-9. to nine. So 10-13, and 13, definitely a misleading record. In fact, they gave the Gators a really close battle in their last midweek game a week ago, losing just 3-2. to two. In conference play, again, six games we're talking about, their ERA as a team is 2-9-5. However, overall, it is 5-9. The man that they will face tonight is a lefty who has a 10 ERA. Started off in the weekend rotation, has pitched out of the pen his last couple of times, so this will be his first start since February the 26th. Now, a 10 ERA has never actually given up more than seven earned runs in an outing, but just hasn't gone very deep. Not a big home run hitting team. They only have seven overall, and just one guy with more than one. That's Boris Pena, and only two regular hitters above 250, Christopher Patterson and Matthew Garcia. Look forward to bringing that to you tonight. Pre-game at 5:45. Squads haven't faced off since 2019. We know why they didn't play in 20, and then last year, 
just were not on each other's schedule. Well, speaking of schedules, have you checked out what the three teams the Bulls played in Weekend 1 have been up to? Charlotte is 16-7, and just took two of three at 18th-ranked Old Dominion. And the only game they lost on Sunday, they put up a 10 spot in one inning where one of their players, Josh Madol, who the Bulls didn't see, by the way, hit two home runs in one inning. Louisville is now 19-5. and They have gotten two conference sweeps in the ACC, including against number one Notre Dame two weekends ago in Louisville. And UConn's doing all right as well, 17-5 and on the season. So unfortunately, the first RPI rankings, because of their other games, frankly, have brought the Bulls' strength of schedule down. So they're not going to have a great computer ranking, but they might actually be in the top 25 if they can win the series in Orlando this weekend and certainly the following weekend at Tulane. I think if the Bulls win their next two series, they are going to be in the top 25. Well, we told you we'd say a little bit more about softball in that series loss to UCF. It pretty much crushes the Bulls as far as hoping to get ranked again. I mean, they would have to sweep Wichita State in a couple of weekends and maybe hope for a late-season surge back into the top 25. UCF, meanwhile, is, again, 18 games in a row. They play the Gators tomorrow. If you're the Bulls, you want them to win that game. And then they play Virginia Tech for three Sunday and Monday. If they can win that series and beat the Gators, yeah, they're going to be right in the smack dab top 10 range. And so it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for the Bulls. Listen, UCF is just coming up clutch now at the plate. And the Bulls, here's what happened over the weekend, one of the numbers we didn't give you yesterday. First of all, Georgina Cork not walking a night on Friday was amazing as they lead the country in walks drawn. Also, the Bulls were 1-for-18 with runners in scoring position. You are going to face tough teams, and when you do, there are going to be pressure at bats, and you're just going to have to come through in them. The Bulls didn't. This week, they go to East Carolina, which put up a lot of runs last weekend, and won two of three against Memphis. The Bulls are 28-10 and overall. Their first RPI ranking is in the 50s, but that can only go up as they start to get some wins. The Knights are 15th. It's not a guarantee they're going to make the NCAA tournament. I think what's going to be very critical is the second game. I think the rest of the way... Maybe Wichita will give them problems, but Georgina Cork is not going to get beat. The second game, the one where Aaron Pepping is your starter, is the one that the Bulls are going to have to take almost every time. And I tell you, got to try and sweep the Pirates this weekend and then a huge opportunity next weekend against Wichita State at home. Hey, did you see UConn win a thriller in double overtime against NC State last night to make the Final Four? That means the Bulls have played two of the Final Four, including beating Stanford and challenging UConn. I think we'll be replaying those games over the next few days on Bulls Unlimited 2. That's going to do for Bulls Beat on a Tuesday. Thanks for listening. I'm Derek Sharp.